At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Mel, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, reading the rally, whether it is about to enter its next phase and how much those Apple and Amazon earnings next week could be the deciding factor in that. We'll discuss with the investment committee joining me for the hour today. Bryn Talkington, Shannon Sakosha, Jim Labenthal, Bill Baruch. Good to see everybody. Check the markets. Uh, as I said, the rally has resumed. There's the Dow 238. We're just around the highs, two-thirds of 1%. S&P uh, and the Dow, by the way, going for three-week winning streaks. There's the S&P up more than 1%. The Nasdaq's the uh, outperformer today. 10 of 11 S&P sectors are higher. So, Shan, if I, if I say, you know, we're reading the rally, what is your read? Where we are? Earnings continue to deliver. We talked about this last week. Were we going to see earnings deliver? They have delivered. These companies are coming in. They are um, showing not only top-line growth, but they're showing, uh, you know, I would say defendable margins, um, perhaps. And the expectation is, is that, you know, we're going to continue to see some slowing on the top line, but that they're making it up, if you will, um, by being able to deliver better margins than anticipated. I think one of the challenges right now is that we're looking forward over the next couple of quarters and attempting to determine if there, you know, what that top line impact will be. And so in as much as we sort of looked past the Fed meeting that happened earlier this week, mm-hmm. the economy remains critically important so that we can understand if we've actually troughed from an economic perspective and can continue to deliver that top line into next year. Jimmy, um, the soft landing crowd got another boost this week. <laughs> Uh, you've been looking for a 5 to 10% pullback, and you've been selling some stocks, or at least trimming or selling, to try and get ready for that. It's the pullback that may never arrive. If, and you know what? If it doesn't, uh, I will find things to buy, because you can always find things to buy. I have not made the mistake that some people make of saying, OK, well, I'm going to make a giant move out of the market, because I think that the market's going to go down 5 to 10%. When you do these sort of things, and you've heard me say this, keep your cash at a 5 to 10% level. Don't make these heroic bets. Because, Scott, to your point, it does look like the soft landing is intact. In fact, if there's a risk, it's the no landing scenario, which, by the way, is a risk because the Fed will crush that and it won't be pleasant. Um, So that's not what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping things just animal spirits come down. And if this rally continues, I'll find things to buy. But I do have to say, I mean, we have to acknowledge, right, the S&P 500 is up 20% year to date Mm -hmm. in seven months. That's a little frothy. I think you'll probably continue until September. September is a notoriously tricky month, especially when you've got a summer rally like this. So I'm sitting put with what I got. The things I own are performing very well, and I have the cash for anything that drops. Bryn, um, nothing about this story was upsetting this week, I suppose. Um, You know, the Fed said what it did. It did what was expected. PCE inflation data came in largely in line, so that didn't upset the story. Earnings didn't upset it, obviously. Dow, you know, had a 13-day win streak. It ended yesterday, but nothing that happened this week leaves us in a worse place. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, I mean, with the exception of Microsoft, right, which was disappointing, I think from the economic perspective, I mean, GDP to me, which I think my, my narrative for the, for the year was that GDP would probably end the year around 1% or so and falling and, you know, GDP coming out at what, 2.4 is really validating the stock market soft landing scenario. And I mean, the Fed we think is almost done. We'll see. I mean, I am still very suspect longer term that we have 13 years of zero rates and then we have the fastest, steepest rate hike ever and that we're going to now in the, be the scenario where we're higher for longer. I definitely know in the commercial real estate and with the regional banks, things are not great, but that seems to be contained mm -hmm. and that the broader economy and the broader market have seemed to ring fence that and say, well, that's not a big enough of the whole economic because at the end of the day, we're two thirds GDP is consumer, strong labor equals strong consumer. So I, I do think that that soft landing drumbeat or just a continuation um, has some legs here. I feel like, I really feel like you just underscored the whole thing, Bryn. Because when you said, yeah, everything was good but Microsoft. You know what Microsoft stock is this week? On these alleged disappointing earnings? Down 1.4%. The point being, Bill, is that nothing that happened this week changes the narrative that the trend is up until it's not and that good enough earnings are good enough yeah. Yeah. for now. Yeah, it's a bull market and it's been a bull market really all year. Um, you know, I'm gonna echo what, what Jim had just said and I've been talking about this the last couple of times on the show is, you know, August to October, there is, I have a little bit of fear we have a pullback. And I don't think it's going to derail the overall rally. I think we could finish the year at record highs. Um, but I want to be prepared for that pullback. I've trimmed a little bit and kind of work, get ready for that. But what really pointed, you know, out of the week to, that I, I thought was most important was the GDP data yesterday. We're not talking soft landing anymore. We're talking no landing. And so my fear would be looking at the Fed watch tool, the CME's Fed watch tool, the odds of a hike in September are only 20% today. Yesterday, they were nearly 30%. The soft PCE data and ECI um, today brought that down a little it's bit. It's like one in three now for November. Yeah. So it's not like we're completely writing off more hikes from the Fed. It's just we assume that they've now entered this pattern where they hike, they pause, they hike, they pause, and maybe they're done. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm worried that they're going to squeeze in another one, maybe two, or at least it's going to come on the table, and that's what's going to throw the market off. And right now, yesterday, the 10-year yield got above 4%. The market didn't like that. There was a bad seven-year auction. We had the BOJ hey, news. The market didn't like it for about 10 seconds. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> right. like Wayne's World. Game on, game off. Because yields pulled back a little bit today. <laughs> you know, the BOJ did its thing, and you have the resumption of the rally. Yeah. To our point, that what felt upsetting for about five minutes was just that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think there's a couple line in the sands that I'm looking at, and I, I obviously, you know, position securities, but I, I trade the indices from a futures level, and the S&P futures, 45.60 has become the line in the sand, and yesterday, upon all that selling, it held. So for now, we've been able to rebound and, and be able to use that, but I have not seen an outside bearish candle like we saw yesterday that has not seen follow-through in years. So this, this, is some, this is impressive to see the market rebound, and, and you know, here we are. Jim, Bank of America today says, if this is a slowdown, give us more. Tom Lee, Fundstrat, corrections likely to be shallow. I think you, you agree with that. I mean, you can debate whether you think a 10% correction is shallow or not, um, if that even arrives. Now, what I was sort of tongue-in-cheek at the top with saying it might never come, 
we're going to get some kind of pullback at some point. You're going you're um, to get some pullback at some point. But the trend is undeniable at this particular time. It, it is. And, you know, while, while Bryn was talking, I, I thought to look at the Atlanta Fed GDP now, which is borderline useless. This is the first update on the third quarter. I he know says Shannon as he's about, to, he's about to read it to you after he just said it's borderline useless. Nonetheless, go I mean, ahead, please, carry on. Three and a half percent. Now I can't wait. Carry on. Three and a half percent. I mean, it was it worth the wait? It was worth the wait. Three and a half percent. Look, uh, and this was what Bryn was talking about, because labor, the labor market continues to be very strong. You saw initial weekly jobless claims yesterday. There's just no sign of this slowdown. Yes, it's going to happen at some point in time. Now, Scott and dear viewers, the reason it probably hasn't happened is as much as the Fed has raised interest rates, a lot of debt that is outstanding, particularly at the consumer level, is locked in from the last few years, whether it's an auto that was purchased two years ago at a low rate or a mortgage that was purchased two years ago at, you know, 2.2%. Yes, credit cards have gone up. No question about it. New loans have gone up, but it's a small portion of the overall loan balance. So that's that there is a lagged effect. That's how that lagged effect looks. And eventually it will slow down, but it's slowing down from one heck of a torrid pace. And I just don't see the recession anywhere near. What's interesting to me, Bryn, is that you bought more NVIDIA. So, you know, at a time where we've been talking about the Magnificent Seven and the fact that the rally has been broadening out by virtue of this Dow run that, that we had, you don't think the run in some of these mega cap stocks is over. You've been a, a longtime shareholder, as I think our viewers know. And now you just added to it. Why? So I love earnings seasons. I love listening to the calls of the companies that I may want to buy and I already own. I think what was crystal clear for me from Microsoft's, Google's, and Facebook's earnings is that while their customers, especially Google and Microsoft, use that word optimization, might be optimizing, while their customers aren't spending as much as what that means, they are spending a ton of CapEx on building out, which is where we are, we're in this build phase of AI. I don't know which companies can monetize. I know Microsoft started with the 30 bucks, but I know for sure NVIDIA is monetizing. And so all these trillion dollar companies are raising their CapEx. All roads lead to NVIDIA. And so, you know, I had sold the the gold gold miners, which I, I lost money on. You don't have to make it back the same way you lost it. And I feel really confident that when NVIDIA's earnings come out in August, that they are going to have a backlog, I think, going into Q1 of 2024. Everywhere I talk to, whether it's an AIVC or these big companies, there is this frenzy there to still own those chips. So I think that that comes out at, the, at their earnings and, they, and they, they, they raise that guidance again. I don't think the stock will be at 460. You know, San, Michael Harton at Bank of America, we were talking about rates earlier. Now we're talking about big tech, the relationship maybe between the two. He says real rates are too low to pop what he thinks is the AI baby bubble. Um, Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey says, you know, that the trend, particularly for Uber caps, uh, is intact because of the Fed's downshifting. So it all sort of ties together. Do you see it that way? Well, I think I, I think it's a it's a valid point when you think about what the experience was for technology investors in 2022. There was this expectation that if you were banking on growth and you were going to need to discount that growth 
for a longer time period at much higher rates, then obviously there was less value and that they demanded a, a lower multiple than perhaps they were being afforded in 2020 and 2021. Now, however, if you feel that we're at the end of this rate hiking cycle, and honestly, I, I agree with Jim's point earlier, um, the threat to technology is actually a booming economy in the next several quarters because then we know that that higher for longer scenario is going to stay right at this at this level. I do think that if we continue to see some tailwinds from things like AI, if we continue to see tailwinds in terms of um, enterprise spend perhaps coming back online as companies are less fearful of a deep and severe recession, you justify if if you could perhaps justify the multiple expansion that we've seen in technology. Um, but I think it's that the denominator effect, you have to understand where rates are going to top out. And if they're topping out at this level, then you start to reset your expectations for valuation in the next couple of years. The final thing that I would I would keep in mind is that you're looking for a growth catalyst. Where's this next phase of economic expansion coming for the U.S. economy most importantly? Is that in technology or are there other areas of the market, such as the ones we were discussing coming into this year, like manufacturing, that will take that leadership in 2024 and that's 2025? Been, that's been in recession. Uh, by the way. So you reference, Bill, the moves you've been making, trimming some tech, which is not new. Yeah. Um, it's just you continue to do it. Yes. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Micron, Amazon, trimming all those. You fully sold out of Tesla, AMD and Adobe. Yes. So what are you growing? Are you growing like to the point where you're going to be wholly negative on on tech? For no, the no, we, of the we year? had more than 50 percent tech and in roughly 30% semiconductors. I'm just bringing this back in balance. We hit a home run to start this year, and I want to be able to monetize that. I want to be ready for the second half of this year. Uh, I've been speaking of some, what's going to outperform? I mean, the Nasdaq's up 50% this year so far. It's not going to be a 50% the second half of the year. I'm looking to healthcare, looking to small caps, looking to niche industrials, trying to find places that I can outperform. But also still keep, I mean, I got Micron, NVIDIA, and Apple are still leg and leg at my top position with uh, AbbVie and, and Chevron. So I got five, five names up there that are really kind of equal weight across the top. But I'm putting myself in a better position. And I had no cash going into prior to Tesla earnings and trimming prior to Tesla earnings. Now I got about 8 9% cash. And if the market keeps going higher, great. If we get a little bit of a correction, I, I can go shopping. I can look at things. But what I think I'll point about tech here is, yes, the trailing 12-month multiple for the NASDAQ, 35. That's frothy. What is it, 27 for the forward one year out? Go three years out, it's at 20. I mean, so we're going to start seeing some of these guidance. I mean, we're seeing guidance raise. So the question is, where's the divergence with where these are trading right now and where they can raise guidance over the next year? And I think there's still a lot of opportunity there, but you've got to be selective. Bryn, the next leg of the rally, right? We, we tease at the top here trying to read what's happening and to decipher whether this next leg of the rally is going to come. Now, how much is riding on that next week? You get Apple and Amazon. I look at this as a, a two-answered uh, two thing. You've got... Apple and Amazon next week. And then, frankly, in order to get the next leg of the rally, you're going to need more of the bears to roll over, capitulate, and start putting money in with the great chase because they've missed it. And, you know, you, you start getting into the, the latter part of the year and you're going to have to chase it. But let's talk about first Apple and Amazon. What's on the line next week for this market? As, by the way, Apple's not that far away from 200 bucks a share. I mean, does Tim Cook ever disappoint? Apple just rarely, rarely disappoints during earnings. So I think this will be another very consistent quarter. Amazon, although it's done very well year to date, it's still lagged. It's still lagged the Apples 
and the, and the Microsofts. And so I think it's like, what is Andy Jassy doing on spending? That's what everybody wants to hear as an Apple, as an Amazon shareholder. And so I think you're gonna have two different reports, two different outcomes. I think that with Andy, you know, they haven't been cutting back in spending as much as like a meta. I think investors, shareholders of Amazon want to see that. I don't know if they'll get that or not. So I think next week is gonna be a, a Super Bowl week for those two companies. But I do think though, I agree with Bill, I think going forward, it's nice to see healthcare starting to get some life. I mean, look at AbbVie. AbbVie's had a big move after their earnings. Energy's had a big move, even though their year-over-year earnings are lower. These are cash flow juggernauts. So I just, I still think you're going to get some broadening out of these other sectors that have not even remotely participated to the magnitude of technology year to date. Are we reminded next week, Jimmy, why we've been putting money in this particular part of the market for? you know, the, the better part of this, you know, the, the first six months of the year? Yes and no, and you know I don't, I don't contradict myself, at least not on purpose. Of course, it's going to be fine, these numbers, but I think the share price reaction is probably going to be muted because of how much has already been brought forward uh, in these names. So just think about really? it. Really? I mean, was it muted in Meta? Was it muted in Meta? Meta was up like 88% year to date, which, which, is the point I'm, which is the point I'm trying to make. No, but my point is that the share gains weren't muted in Meta, despite the fact that it was up already year to date. I see your point. Counter let me, to let the me, point you're making. Let, let me finish the point because I don't think I fully fleshed it out for you. The rest of this year, five months. You need to flesh it out. Five months. Go ahead. Five months left, all right? What if, hypothetically, Apple, Amazon, the FANG stocks are up five, six percent? That will feel like a disappointment, even though the numbers, the the earnings numbers are probably going to be great. And to the point that everyone's making on the show, there's actually a lot of catch-up going on right now outside of technology. Bryn sort of alluded to it coming. It's happening now. Look at the share price action, and, and Patty and the team will do this really quickly. They always do. Take a look at the price action in Deer. Take a look the recovery from that uh, post-earnings uh, debacle that was ridiculous, frankly. Take a look at the price action in NXP semiconductors, Qualcomm, any of the non-AI uh, type of chips. Uh, take a look at Boeing. There are recoveries that are going on outside of tech that are likely to continue. Now, I think you said there's a threat to technology. I think that was your words. The threat, in my opinion, is that it only goes up 5 to 6% from here to year end. And that will feel like a disaster. That will feel like a threat has come true. But it isn't. Those are good returns. There's just better returns to be had elsewhere. See, I go back to the second part of what I suggested had to happen for the next leg is this chase. That, you know, people who are cautious, right, and who have been for the better part of the year, Shan, you're in that group. Bears, outright bears who are there thinking that there's no way this market was going to have this kind of year. They need to roll over. And Jimmy, you really think that if that happens, that if people who were negative on the market come into the market, that they're going to go towards the Boeings rather than the Apples and yes. the Alphabets and the yes. Microsofts? And the Home Depots and the Union Pacifics. What Here's makes you why. think that? Because the recession is being thrown away. It's because being, that scenario is being thrown away. Yeah, but well, they'll make the argument that it's not necessarily being thrown away. It's simply being pushed off Yes, they will even make further. that argument. Yes, they will make that argument. You're absolutely right. I'm sorry to chuckle, but that's the argument that's been made for four quarters now. And what I'm suggesting to you and to everyone is that after a certain point in time, crying wolf loses its effectiveness, and I think that's what's happening right now. I think, I don't think I'm alone in this, that the vast market majority is now coming to grips with the fact that the recession is very unlikely, even if the bears will say, oh, it's just pushed off. And in that scenario, that's why the sentiment is increasing for the industrials, for the energy stocks, for the material stocks, for the industrials. I know we're going to talk about energy later. We are, but as yep. long as the yield curve is inverted the way it is, 
as long, Shan, as the leading economic indicators are all sort of flashing still economic weakness and recession, I'm hard pressed to think that you're going to get a, you know, a, a wave of money going into cyclical areas of the market, like pure, uh, you know, uh, on the economy cyclical side of things and not into mega cap tech. Aren't they giving you all the reasons this week why you've put the money there to begin with? Not you specifically, but the general consensus of investors? Well, I think you're making a really interesting point about what is happening from an economic perspective to justify that cyclical move. And I would say the challenge for me in where I sit and, and the viewpoint on what's going to happen over the next six to nine months is it's not just that we're seeing contracting economic indicators in the United States. The rest of the world is clearly contracting and very quickly. And some of the catalysts like China reopening that we expected to drive demand for more cyclical sectors, mm -hmm. energy and materials are, are two of those. The reason they lagged this year is not because people were expecting a hard landing, a severe recession. It's because the catalyst for growth in the demand for those sectors and industries hasn't materialized in China. And so that is still for me an issue. I understand that the U.S. economy is the most important part, but at, at, a, at a time when we're sitting here trying to ascertain what's going to happen next year, I don't think we can look past the all of the economic indicators that are pointing towards that slowdown. It doesn't change Go ahead, real quick, uh, Jim. Shannon. Don't you think China's going to stimulate like any day now? They and, are and, stimulating, and regardless of whether increased stimulation works or not. Debatable. I mean, that's going to provoke these markets. Whether it's, and by the way, look at where oil is. I mean, just as an example, energy being most often tied. Oil's on a five-week win streak. Yeah, and most often being tied to well, there isn't China demand. But you know, I look at where oil is and I say somebody thinks China stimulation is going to come and probably work. We also we've also have been told this narrative about refilling the SPR that was supposed to be a huge catalyst that hasn't materialized. It so I, I, I think it has to. I, As I, a country, you can't, <laughs> you can't leave it at this level. All right, we're going to leave it at that level because we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to give you our chart of the day. It's Intel rallying the company delivering a surprise profit. Christina Partsinevelos here at Post 9 to break it all down. Plus, set the table for AMD. Those earnings are next week. We're back right here on The Happen 2. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com.
Welcome back. Chart of the day is Intel. Shares are surging today. The company returning to profitability after two quarters of losses. Christina Partzinevelos is with us at Post 9. So it's a nice reaction in the stock. But as you pointed out, because I read your email and I read it again, <laughs> every segment of the business, though, was weak, exactly, which you pointed out. Exactly, but the, I guess the positive for this particular quarter is PC sales and PC processors. That's really what drove the entire quarter, as well as cost-cutting. They've cut their dividend by, what, 65% CEO pay. But to your point, are we celebrating too soon? Is the stock up because, what, uh, there was no one in there? And there was and hey, maybe. just heading. I mean, if you, think, if you think the things you just said, like PCs have troughed, mm-hmm. and you think brighter days are ahead, Maybe that's all you need for a stock where the story's been tough. Okay, but then what about the cannibalization part of it, which Pat Gelsinger actually referred to on the call that, yes, indeed, you are seeing investor demand shift towards AI accelerators, and that's hurting their regular compute business, in other words, the traditional servers. So a comment like that is concerning not only for Intel, but it is somewhat concerning, too, for AMD, which is out next week. AMD is better positioned within the CPU world, again, central processing units. Uh, their CPU is also better positioned for AI, so another you know step up. And they're coming out with their own AI chip at the end of this. This year. So already on that roadmap to AI, and so we don't have to talk about NVIDIA or Marvell or any of those, AMD is a little bit better position. You'll, you'll continue, I suppose, to have a debate in the market as to whether as we just spend a good deal of time talking about mega cap tech and AI and NVIDIA, whether Intel is positioned at all to fully take advantage of this boom that's coming. Now, the stock is up 30% in six months, okay? Now I understand that it got, you know, destroyed. So it, it really, there was only one way to go and, and that was up. But how would you address those questions that investors are still gonna have when all of the hype is around NVIDIA, Broadcom, and some of the others. Well, then I, if I were Pat Gelsinger, I would say, well, our foundry business is doing quite well. We're ahead of schedule, and that's going to be how we're going to capitalize on it because we're going to manufacture those chips. That's the argument that they would make. This is, of course, I'm not biased towards the company or anything, but that's kind of what he was alluding to on the call yesterday. And it's called IDM 2.0, and that's something that they're eventually going to cut out of their business, and it's going to operate on its own. And so that's also bread and butter, given we don't have a lot of foundry here in the United States, and when we reshore our chips building here with the Chips Act, everything, then Intel can benefit from that angle. The uh, former Intel shareholder is acting like he's not listening, I, I'm, I, but he is. Life has been so <laughs> good is. for the last three years. <laughs> I mean, you must remember those brutal quarters, like you'd beat me up, Josh would beat me up, everybody would beat me up. Life is good. I feel good not being an Intel. But this is maybe short term, right? Life is good. Maybe you're celebrating too soon. Well, I'm not so. I want, listen, I always want companies to do well. I want investors to make money. And I know there will be bottom fishers who come into Intel. I think it's too soon. Um, I think just b- both from a valuation point of view, but also there's a major business shift that's gone on here. This used to be the intellectual uh, capital leader in the semiconductor space. Now it's becoming a contract manufacturer. I mean, that's just, there's a difference in how you value those companies. Yeah, but what about your whole Mr. Onshoring thesis? Okay. That's that you've my made, but you've you've also it's not like you, so you're not as heavily invested in some of the mega cap tech, but you are in the so-called old old tech, yeah. the Qualcomms, the Cisco's, but just this one you you I, just got rid of. Yeah, I, I mean, 
This was a great stock for me for about 10 years, and then it turned into a disaster. Management changes, strategy changes, um, and I, I don't think it's anywhere near completing the strategy change. I don't think you're saying that either. There's a lot of stocks to own, and I know there are, I said this earlier, I know there are bottom fishers who are coming in there and saying, well, it looks cheap. It ain't that cheap, folks, and I, I just, I think you're gonna have a long wait in this at best. You may not lose money from here, but you got a long wait at best, and then these others, cyclical uh, semis. I think you mentioned Micron, Texas Instruments, Qualcomm, NXPI. They've actually got a bid. The sentiment's positive. Why do I need to play around with something that is painful like this? Last word. You didn't ask about global foundries. If you're focused on lagging chips, right, which is a very important part of the chip business, global foundries is here in the United States. They are continuing to, to expand, and they're going to be able to maybe benefit from that localized angle. What about AMD real quick? I mean, you kind of touched on it, but what, so, uh, next what, do, what week, do we Tuesday, think? So next week, Tuesday, the argument is that they're better, better capitalized uh, for CPUs. They're better positioned. And the fact that this PC bottom that Intel is seeing bodes well for AMD. But overall, in the AI play, still way behind uh, NVIDIA and the likes. You were also focused on a Microsoft. Just because it stood out to me right? yesterday, I know our audience and maybe we're just tired of talking about NVIDIA, but they had a, their annual report, hats off to my co uh, coworker Steve Kovac, who pointed it out to me. In the annual report, they actually wrote that GPUs are a risk to outages if they don't get the infrastructure. So what's that telling us? That Microsoft is warning us if they don't get all of those AI chips, we could see service outages. Obviously, bodes very well for NVIDIA, but also long-term, Scott, so we don't always have to talk about NVIDIA, this shows that there's going to be more even more of a push to build these chips in-house. And that's a threat to all of them. I'll see you on Closing Bell. Oh, yeah. Thanks for being here, Christina Partsinevelis. The headlines now with Contessa Brewer. Hi, Contessa. Scott, an explosion hit a Russian city near the Ukrainian border today, injuring several people. A Russian lawmaker said another explosion hit a major oil refinery in Russia's Samara region. Russia's defense ministry blames Ukraine and describes it as a terrorist attack on the residential infrastructure. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is trying to quiet the questions over his health by vowing he'll stay on the job. The prominent GOP leader suddenly stopped speaking mid-sentence at the weekly Republican leadership news conference on Wednesday. Fellow senators ushered him away from the cameras and then back to his office. He later returned to talk to reporters, but the 81-year-old isn't even up for re-election until 2026. Ford is recalling more than 870,000 F-150 pickup trucks because the electric parking brake could activate while the vehicle's in motion. The recall affects trucks made from 2021 to 2023 model years, only for the gas-powered F-150s, not the electric F-150 Lightning. Just call, I guess, and check on that. Scott. Contessa, thank you. Contessa mm -hmm. Brewer coming up. Exxon under pressure on an earnings miss. Jim owns it. He'll tell us how he's managing that position next. We're back in just two minutes. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome back. Take a look at shares of ExxonMobil down about one and a half percent. They're lower after reporting earnings. Jim, you own this. I mean, it's, it's clear, given where oil prices have been, that obviously the profits of an Exxon and a Chevron were going to suffer as a result. And that's exactly what you got. 
I, exactly what you got. And also some, you know, little bits and pieces here that we're finding not doing so well. Um, but to the point that you just made, Scott, look at where oil is right now. It's almost $80 a barrel for most of the last quarter. It was in the 60s and 70s. So you should see profits picking up. Um, you and I had a good debate a second ago about the SPR. I caught your skepticism. That's fine. That's fine. I, I disagree politely. But I think we have to, as a country, refill a strategic petroleum reserve. I mean, it's, it's strategic. Like, refill it. Uh, and, and China, look, can it get worse? I guess it could get worse if they go back into COVID shutdown. I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're going to get stimulation and growth there. Um, what's also held ExxonMobil back is low natural gas prices. Hey, you know what? Honestly, that's a good thing because that helped Europe get through the last winter with the Russian situation. But it's highly likely that we, as we go on and as the recession gets at least pushed further out, if not uh, completely uh, uh, taken off the table, that energy prices stay high. And a company like ExxonMobil, 11 times earnings, 3.5% dividend yield, does just fine. Bryn, uh, are we going to get a catch-up trade yeah. in energy? Yeah, I mean, well, it's already started, right? We've seen that start. And I think it's really important. I don't think people understand, like, onshore rig count, I think is around, like, 670, which is down almost 90 rigs, you know, year over year. And what that's telling you is, like, as Saudis are cutting production, these companies are cutting production. They're being very fiscally responsible on CapEx. There's a little bit of M&A. But what it tells me also, when I look at all of these companies, is that free cash flow yield is still around 12% for the industry. And so while their earnings are down after this bumper crop earnings last year, this cash flow generations from these companies are the cheapest of all sectors in the S&P by a really wide margin. And I continue to think that this is gonna be a great year to start dollar cost averaging into these energy names if you don't have exposure because of that really strong free cash flow. And I promise you, I promise you, there's gonna be stimulation out of China. It's a manufactured economy. They are not gonna to tolerate 20% youth employment long-term. And as these other emerging countries start to develop, they're not gonna be driving EVs. They're gonna be using more and more energy. So I think it's a great time to be adding this to the portfolio and then enjoy that high free cash flow and, distribu and distributions to investors. Did Bryn say everything that you were gonna say? Cause you, <laughs> Cause you bought more Chevron. <laughs> couple days ago. I think they both hit on some terrific points. China, uh, you know, one thing, I, I, Permian, Permian uh, production for Chevron hit a record. And I added uh, um, uh, Pioneer Natural Resources as well uh, to that. It, we've had that position. I increased that. They have, they have really good margins in the Permian. Now, Darren Woods, the CEO of Exxon, said something today. He was he, on our network. Yes, and that's where I heard him. I heard him this morning on the Squawk. And he said that he expects oil demand to pick up at 24. Mm -hmm. And he talked about oil, the demand for products made from oil, too. We, it's easy to forget that oil runs the world. There's so many products made from oil. And then I want to finish off by saying Saudi Arabia, they want to see higher prices. There's talk, talk of more production cuts coming later this year to, on top of the production cuts they already have. So I think there's just a lot of, a lot of room here to run. And especially if China shows up, I'm becoming bullish on China because I don't think there is much more downside here. So I just hear pretty much three bullish views on why you think there's going to be a catch-up trade. You don't. 
I just looking at this from an earnings perspective, Scott, I think that the um, the likelihood that we've experienced the trough in earnings for energy, we, we haven't yet. And so I think that they're just given, granted, if you look at valuations, they're still undemanding. But if you look at the gains that we had for the last couple of years in energy, I still think that in order to get that huge catalyst of new investors into this space, I think that we have to start seeing um, improvement on the on the earnings side. Even if, if even if now you've gone from 60 to 80? And if you remain elevated, you know, if we get to the point where, you know, more people are convinced that we're not going to go off a cliff and that China actually is going to come back online in a meaningful and, and what we think is a real way. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a benefit to buying energy companies in terms of their operating leverage, and that is di that definitely differs from some of the other sectors that have been winning this year. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing to think about China stimulus. I, I do want to point out they're very interested in stimulating on the green side, on the environmentally conscious side of their economy, and so I I think that there's perhaps other opportunities outside of traditional oil and gas that you could take advantage of this stimulus in China. All right, let's take a quick break. We we'll come back with our call of the day. One top analyst sees this stock rallying nearly 40%. It reports earnings next week, too. We'll tell you what it is, we'll tell you how to trade it, and we'll tell you next. NASDAQ up about 2%. There it is. Dow's having a good day, uh, obviously, but the NASDAQ's the outperformer uh, by a lot. As you know, you look ahead to mega cap earnings, you've got those up, and by the way, our call of the day, it's helping too. It's Uber. It's up 3% right now. Reiterated top pick, 65 bucks is the price target at Oppie. Shares up more than 50% last three months alone. Earnings next week. Bill Baruch, you own it. I feel, I mean, we've talked about it a lot because Josh owns it and he's owned it for a long time. And it's, if not the top pick that he has, it's certainly right up near the very top of the list. What about you? Well, after trimming and cutting some names, it is in our top 10 now. Uh, we've owned it all year, added it earlier this year into the portfolio. Um, the, 13 years ago, this company wasn't around. So in 13 years, they've been able to hit 11,000 cities. Now we're seeing actually this company turn profitable and have free cash flow. It's accelerating. Um, you know, now, long term, you know, I like the fact that you can see the diversification of revenue streams. I mean, there's logistics and trucking. There's, there's a, it's a, what, a $1 trillion total addressable market there. And the final mile package delivery, that's something that's, I think, going to grow. And it's going to be, I think, a good margin business for them. So I'm excited about the stock. Now, it's tough to chase it at this level. I, I like it. It's above some technical supports. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see it kind of hold in this region. Consolidate. I mean, the street's been chasing, and they love it, too. 91% of the coverage has a buy. Only 9% hold zero sells. The average target is 52 bucks. Um, what a difference, you know, Jimmy, uh, a couple years makes in terms of profitability, alleged competition that doesn't feel like competition anymore. I mean, it's a legitimate company. There's no question about it. The business model has been proven for years. I've missed this. I'm, to Bill's point, I'm not about to chase this at this level. Uh, over the lifetime of, of the company in the public market, which is short, mm -hmm. it has had these wild ups and downs. And generally speaking, granted, the history isn't that long, but after a wild upside like this, this is not the time to buy it. Bryn, how come you don't own Uber? Yeah. That's a good question. You know, it's been good that I haven't owned it since IPOs and because you've made no money. But I have been so impressed, I think, as so many investors have. I'm not investors. On, on what just an amazing job Dara has done of transforming the company. One thing that Jim and, and Bill haven't mentioned, which is really important, 
a lot of investors, there's speculation that after this third quarter earnings, they will have trailing 12-month profitability, positive profitability, which allows it to be potentially included in the December S&P rebalance. And so I think that you, you will have investors want to anticipate that. So to me, that could be an upside catalyst. But I also think Lyft is interesting. You know, David Risher, who became the CEO, he was on the board just in April. He's an Amazon. He's a Jeff Bezos guy. So I think you have David now and Dara, two clear adults. So I think Lyft could actually be a little bit more interesting for different reasons because if, if David's able to come and do that turnaround. So Lyft is actually more on my interest list, list right now than Uber. All right. We'll uh, take a break. Up next, we're going to get a pulse on the healthcare trade. A bunch of key names reporting next week. We'll do that next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag GradeMyTrade. Welcome back. Uh, we want to check healthcare because you got a number of uh, companies reporting next week, including Tenet, Merck, Pfizer, Vertex, CVS, Amgen. Bill, you own Amgen. You bought it last week. Yeah, it's a great way to diversify, get some more exposure within the pharmaceutical space. I mean, look what AbbVie um, has been able to do with their earnings. Uh, you know, they have its new products that have been able to really actually surprise the upside in sales. The Renvoc. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what, what Amgen comes out with. Now, there's obviously some FTC overhang here. I think it's it's been bottoming out very well over the last two months, three months. And it's if they if they come out with some good results, I think there's going to be a chase into a name like this. Jimmy, Vertex, that's on Tuesday after the bell. CVS is Wednesday before the bell. Yeah, and both have been recovering. Uh, Vertex that hasn't had to recover from much of a dip. CVS has. I, Vertex just has good momentum to it, good products. It's not a very expensive stock. Um, it's more expensive than I'm used to, but it's not very expensive. So I do think you can own it here. CVS is the more interesting one here. Um, it's had a terrible nine months, and there's a lot of reasons for it. There was this uh, Medicare Advantage uh, downgrade back in November. That's likely to get reversed uh, by the end of the year. Uh, they made these two acquisitions, Oak Street and Signify Health. And they took out some debt and they lowered their, their earnings estimates for this year because of that. Frankly, I think they're sandbagging. I think when they lowered their estimates, they sandbagged. And, and you're going to see good results next week. This is an incredibly forgiving valuation for a stock whose business is growing really nicely. I just wonder, you know, I'm looking at the performance chart, you know, see what this thing has done. And after doing nothing, being a colossal disappointment, it's up near 10% over the last month. I've noticed. Makes me wonder whether that news is already in the stock. And it makes me how, wonder that too. How good the report has to be for what is already a 10% gain in a month to take that next leg. Totally legitimate comment. I mean, I'm wondering the same thing, but Scott, I gotta tell you, this thing has just gotten, as you said, you know, colossally beaten down and way more than 10% undervalued, way more than 10% undervalued. So could you see a short-term fizzle in the stock price if they beat nicely, as I think they will? It's possible, but I also think that the long-term trend has reversed here. The sentiment is getting positive. This is an easy stock for people to notice, especially if it beats earnings. 
All right, Bryn, you, you express your interest in investing here through the XBI. Yeah, and I also an AbV, right? And I think people have gotten really, we're, we're bearish all year on healthcare. I also think people were underweight healthcare, are switched out of healthcare this year because as we pushed off the recession to the soft landing, you know, really healthcare staples and utilities are that recession playbook. And that's one of been one of the dampeners. But I think the earnings power, the margins, the growth, XBI is sell calls against Scott. XBI has been in this 80 to 90 trading range for about a year. And so that's been the way I've expressed expressed that. But I think Avi is a good example of a company. People got too bearish on Humero's biosimilars. Skyrizi did much better than expected. And so these companies have strong free cash flow. And so I think it's a great way to diversify a portfolio outside of tech and to have some good some good healthcare or biohealthcare like an Abvi or an XBI and sell calls against it. Speaking, Shannon, of needed catch-up trades, this is an area where we need one. Yeah. Do you we- think we're going to get it? It, you know, it's challenging. There's parts of the sector that are doing really well. Um, equipment, disposables. Uh, if you think about the increase in procedure volume, people going back to the doctor. Uh, what's really led healthcare over the last couple of years has been managed care. You know, with the um, you know the strong job growth as well as you know MLR uh, co- you know costs that were frankly lower than anticipated, and so they're making money on those premiums. Um, I think that one of the things we need to see, Scott, to your question, is does this translate into stronger earnings? and growth, even if we do have some contraction. Um, but I think the innovation and growth parts of this are, are the most important parts of the healthcare sector right now. All right, quick break, and then we're grading trades next. Let's grade a couple of trades that we have time for. Jimmy, you're first. Uh, for Murphy, we'll call him Murph. Murph? Call him Murph. I feel like we have that re- kind of relationship with our viewers. <laughs> Murph wants to know about Delta. Bought Delta, 36.75. Do I take profits off the table or hold? What do you think? Well, it's a nice profit. Maybe take a little bit of it off the off the table there. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not selling a share. I mean, this stock topped out at $51 a share two years ago. And if you compare the operations and the results two years ago to today, it's just it's at a much much higher altitude and going higher. I mean, earnings estimates for this year are 30% higher now than they were at the beginning of the year. Uh, the multiple is six times forward earnings. I mean, Murph, stick with me on this, all right, right, buddy? All right, Bill. um, Simon in Rome wants to know about McDonald's. Bought McDonald's in June to balance my portfolio. What do you think? I I love how they've really shifted this franchise model, and I think that's really been a huge tailwind for them. Their operating margins have expanded drastically. We saw net sales rise 11% uh, year-to-date on on their recent report. I like the stock a lot. It's kind of consolidating sideways. I think we're going to see a breakout to the upside soon, but managed risk if it kind of gets below 275, then then we might see a little bit of rollover in the near term. All right, quick quick break again. Uh, We'll come back. Dow's good for 232, and we've got final trades next. Well, we're going to have a battle at three on closing bell because we've got the bull Jeremy Siegel and the bear Greg Branch. Can't wait for that. I hope you'll join me. See what happens on this Friday. Let's do final trades. Bryn, what do you got? I'm going to stick with AbbVie. Uh, they, they far surpassed earnings really due to Skyrizi and Rinvoc. Uh, 4% yield. I think it's underperformed this year. Good last last um, six-month um, move in AbbVie expected. All righty. Thank you for that. Bill Baruch. 
Pioneer Natural Resources, they do report next week. I like the way this, I like to call it an accumulation, where this, this stock has been kind of rounding out. Be, the Permian has seen an increase in production this year, and I think uh, they, they're well positioned for that. Jimmy the Bull. Deer, it's a great catch-up trade. All right, I'll see all of you in a couple hours on Closing Bell. The exchange is right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.